and a very warm welcome back to Old Sport Podcast. We have tales of triumph and tragedy across the coast to dissect with precision and panache this week. But headlining our show is our feature interview with AFLW Jet Liv Vesley. So stay tuned for that. I'm Hamish Stewart. He's Ben Rosen, and he's also Hugo Carson. Boys, it's good to be back. Ben, talk us through the big one, the one all the listeners have been waiting for, the half marathon you did in less than two hours, I believe, on the weekend. Uh, thank you. You make that sound like it's an achievement. It's not much more than a brisk walk, but yeah, did it. It was a, a nice warning tale for anyone who's thinking of running a half marathon without doing much <laughs> preparation because I haven't been able to walk since. But anyway, <laughs> got it done. Um, not not nice much medal. more about that. Yeah, got my medal. Uh, got a couple of photos. They sent you some photos of you on the finishing line and they wanted, they wanted me to pay twenty nine ninety five for photos of me looking like an actually deceased <laughs> human thing. I never <laughs> understand why they don't take them at the start of the race, why oh, they, they like to give them to you at the end. I was, I was striding for the first 5K. I, I would have looked a million bucks. Um, anyway. I've seen a few of them and basically like, 80% of the photos at the finish line are people turning off their GPS watches. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, nice. <laughs> That's true. One, um, not that we're going to spend the whole show on it, but dark. <laughs> so Strava clocked me at 22 and a half days yeah. and the yeah. course says it's 21. So That's not interesting. happy. Not happy because I had, I had not budgeted for one step longer than 21 Ks to say the least. Well, anyway. ben, maybe it was a bit like me on the golf course when I don't always go straight from the tee to the flag. Sometimes I like to take a slightly alternate route to get it. <laughs> like that, yeah. Maybe I was just dr- drunk and running side to side. Um, alas, let's get into the sporting results of the weekend. We'll start with the AFLW round six action. On Friday night, it was the Hawks by three points over the Eagles and the Crows comfortably by 60 over Port Adelaide. On the Saturday, Giants by 17 over the Blues, Cats by just the one point over the Dogs and the Pies by two points over the Saints, a heartbreaking defeat for the Saints there. Richmond by four points over the Gold Coast Suns. Very exciting Saturday of footy in AFLW. Sunday saw the Lions tail up the Dons by 44 points. The Demons get the job done over Frio by 30 and the Kangaroos by 66 points over the Sydney Swans. On to the FIBA Women's Basketball World Cup, which has just concluded. Uh, I'll take you back to the semifinals where we had the USA comfortably beating Canada and Australia agonizingly falling short of a chance at the gold medal, um, losing to China 61-59. But sweet redemption was ours in the match for third place with a comprehensive victory, 95-65 to over Canada. Um and of course, in the final, it was USA quite comfortably beating China, eighty-three to sixty-one. It was great to see Lauren Jackson in that uh, bronze medal match play probably one of the games of the entire entire carnival. I believe she had about thirty points. Uh, clearly, best on court and an excellent way for her to cap off what was a truly triumphant comeback to the professional ranks. Hugo, over yeah. to you. Yeah, the scenes after that game were was something to to see. The the Australian captain was leading the the uh, crowd in chance of um uh for Jackson basically, and and it was it was great to see she was being chaired off, and 
yeah, some some big memories there. Uh, all right, in the world of American sports, we'll start in the NFL with the Bengals beating the undefeated Dolphins as Tua Tagovailoa was carted off the field following horrific uh, head and neck injury. That comes a week after he passed a very suspect concussion test um, and has resulted in a review into the NFL concussion testing. A big step back in a sport that kind of seemed to lead the way in concussion um, protocols recently. Elsewhere, the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes routed the Buccaneers and supposedly the best defense in the NFL. It was what actually was a good game, but the the Chiefs really got one back on the, the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, beating them convincingly. Well, scoring a lot of points against the best defense in the in the competition at um at the Buccaneers home field. Um, and finally, tonight, today in Monday Night Football, the 49ers beat the struggling Rams, who have not started their Super Bowl defense very well. In the Formula One, Sergio Perez claimed a wet and chaotic Singapore Grand Prix ahead of Charles Leclerc. Carlos Sainz finished third. Lando Norris was fourth. And our boy Danny Rick came all the way back from 16th to finish in an impressive fifth. Great to see uh, the Aussie doing some getting into some good form over in the F1. Finally, the 2022 Major League Baseball playoff bracket is set. Um, Major stories include the New York Mets fumbling their division in spectacular Mets fashion um, to the Braves basically in the last few weeks uh, and including a series against the Braves towards the end there. Um, The youngest team in baseball, the Cleveland Guardians, overcame all predictions at the start of the year to win their division and claim a playoff berth. Um, and also the best story of the season has to be the Seattle Mariners overcoming a 21-year playoff drought, which is the longest in the major four U.S. competitions. Uh, they qualified with a home game walk-off home run, which is just amazing scenes. And check out the John Boy breakdown if you haven't already. So the teams that made the playoffs were Tampa Bay, um, Cleveland Guardians, Seattle Mariners, Toronto Blue Jays, uh, Houston Astros, New York Yankees, the Phillies, uh, St. Louis, Braves, San Diego, New York Mets, and LA Dodgers. So it should be some intense series starting with the wild card rounds in the in the baseball. Hamish, what about the soccer? A superb rap, Hugo. Um, look, it was a busy week back in the Premier League. We we're happy to have it back. Overnight, uh, sorry, two nights ago, Manchester City routed Manchester United 6-3 in the derby at home. Erling Haaland now has three hat-tricks in three consecutive home games. Um, only took Cristiano Ronaldo uh, 224 Premier League games, I believe, to have the same amount. So anyway, um, he's doing all kinds of crazy stuff, but we're going to come on to that a little bit later on. Elsewhere, Liverpool were held 3-3 by Brighton at Anfield. It was a really good game to watch. Leandro Trossard turned it on for the visitors. Chelsea beat Palace 2-1 away, and it was a it was a pretty amazing finish that game. Conor Gallagher curled in one from outside the box and absolutely broke Palace hearts. He was on loan there for the last couple of seasons and um, was by far and away their best player last year. The fans still had the grace, though. Such a, a loved player there to clap him, not only before the game, but also after the game, despite... Chelsea being one of their biggest rivals as a a London derby. In the North London derby, though, Arsenal beat Tottenham 3-1 in a pretty convincing display, and they actually maintained their spot at the top of the table. And Leicester finally got off the bottom of the table with a 4-0 win over their arch rivals, Nottingham Forest. So we had four of the big rivalries this weekend. It's always exciting. Unfortunately, it means this weekend's action is not quite as thrilling, um, but hopefully we'll get some good games anyway to enjoy. But we'll get onto that towards the end of the show. Elsewhere in Europe, Barcelona are now top of La Liga after Madrid uh, dropped their first points for the season. They were held to a draw. 
and Union Berlin are still top of the table. Um, shout out to friend of the show, Hamish, who I believe went and watched them lose on the weekend, but they had such a lead over their close rivals that they they maintained their top. Uh, Bayern Munich are now in third place, though, and just four points behind, so they are beginning to close. And, of course, in the big one, the NRL grand final, um, the Panthers comfortably beat the Eels. Uh, it was also a, another route. We've had a few routes this, this weekend. Um, an entertaining game, though, high scoring. They packed out a course stadium, which is good to see, 80-plus thousand in there to watch that, that all-Sydney grand final. And lastly, in the cricket, Australian domestic con- cricket continues in the WNCL today. Uh, the Tassie Tigers beat the Vicks. They chased down 270, which is a serious effort, led by Nicola Carey. And Queensland beat the ACT Meteors as well. The Sheffield Shield is also underway. We've had the first two days of the, the match between WA and New South Wales to get the season going. And WA holding about a 100-run lead after the, the first innings. All right, that was a pretty good wrap, boys. Plenty happening in the sporting world this week. On to some far more important news. We've got a very special interview to bring you this week. Uh, It was a great chat with Liv. Super pumped she could join us and hope you listeners enjoy this one. Alrighty, we are now joined by a very special guest, Olivia Vesley of the St Kilda Football Club AFLW team. Liv signed with the Saints in 2019. She won a joint best and fairest honours and NAB Rising Star nomination in 2020 in just her first year. She had a tough run with, with injuries in 2021, but she's back playing some great footy, including 21 touches against the Hawks in round two this year. 15 of them contested. Liv... Thanks for coming on. Um, first question for you, and it's one that we ask all our guests, given the name of the podcast, the Old Sport Podcast, what is your oldest sporting memory? Um, thanks for having me on, guys. So nice of you to invite me. Um, okay, my oldest sporting memory, I'd say oh, one of like the, my favourites would probably be like playing at Melbourne Primary um in the girls footy team I think we had like two awesome teachers um who were really like champions of our girls footy team and we made the state final twice um so I, I think remember. that's probably like, I, I genuinely remember that yeah <laughs> that's very good yeah, yeah it was pretty cool and like, I was playing with all my really good friends um so that was probably yeah one of my favorite footy early memories that's a pretty cool um, one. Were you, were you into a lot of other sports growing up? Yeah. Oh, definitely. I did everything. Yeah. I think, like, mum and dad didn't actually let me play footy outside of school. <laughs> so, like, I did tennis, basketball, netball, cricket. Anything under the sun. <laughs> literally everything I ever shot. Um, That's I think, yeah, probably my youngest tennis memory is, like, mum and dad forcing me to go to lessons. <laughs> but, yeah. That's probably a common occurrence with a lot of people, I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, Liv, two early wins got the Saints off to a, a really hot start this season. A couple of tight losses in the last few weeks and sitting mid-table now. How's the mood around the group at the moment and how are you personally enjoying this expanded AFLW season compared to the, the previous seasons? Um, yeah, it's been, it's been such a rollercoaster of a season. I mean, the first two games were so awesome. And the vibe was just up and about. Um, I guess 
yeah, we went into both those games still pretty like respectful of both oppositions because they're Sydney and Hawks have some great players, um, even that they're no their expansion sides. Um, and then yeah, we did have a couple of close, well, yeah, close loss last weekend against Collingwood, which unfortunately wasn't a part of, but the Yells did yeah. an amazing job and responded really well from um not so great loss against Geelong. I think, yeah, against Geelong, the vibe after that was pretty solemn. Um, mm, yeah. We, we did cough a fair review, but um, it was well warranted and I definitely think it was like the perfect amount of ammunition to go forth into training for that week and then go into the game, um, knowing that Colin was like a really top side and have been in the competition for ages. So, um. Yeah, it has been as the season always is with the season being so short and so, I guess, varied every year in terms of player movement and stuff. It's like a roller coaster of emotions, but I absolutely love it. And like, yeah, I love being at Saints and love the club and like the vibe around the club. So, uh, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> ask for a better, I guess, team to be part of. But in terms That's what of we like to hear. Ratio, <laughs> yeah, not the best to start the season, but we've got four more games, so hopefully you can get some That'd more right. on board. Yeah, I'm just gonna follow up. So the reason you missed the the Pies game the weekend, you copped a head knock against the Cats. How's your concussion going? Are you hoping to be back this weekend? Yeah, I will be back this weekend. I was probably good to go last weekend, but um, I just didn't want to really risk it. Hopefully, I've yeah. got bit of longevity in me rather than you know coughing another one consecutively and then missing the rest of the season or some extra games that I didn't need to. I'm sure we would have got over the line if you're out there on the weekend though. Oh I don't know about that. (laughs) I do not know about that. But yeah, it was they were they played so well. It was tough. It was a great game. Tough loss. Yeah. Mm. Um Liv you mentioned there that the the season, the competition has varied a lot throughout the seasons. Um, obviously, it started with that that big Carlton Collingwood game a few years ago now um, that you weren't a part of, obviously, and then joined the season a few years later. Then we went through COVID. You were there through all of that. And then now we've expanded to the full 18 competition, full 18 team competition. What do you think are the some of the biggest changes throughout the competition? We've seen um, some changes, you know, massive amounts of ACL injuries hopefully they're coming down um new season times like going from summer to now there's been two seasons in the same year to get back on kind of on schedule um what's it been like going through that on the inside and all these changes to the competition um it definitely builds resilience I think (laughs) um just (laughs) in terms of I guess the first season was probably the coolest thing ever like just being in an elite environment I'd never um yeah been a part of something as I guess professional and um awesome like as that I think I will have memories from that season forever it was super weird though it finished like really abruptly like we were pretty much told to just pack our lockers up and get out of there um and then we're in lockdown for I guess almost two years (laughs) um and then that was also weird, like training through isolation and things like that. Um, in terms of the competition, it like definitely made a difference to like having the teams that had been there since the inception, um, just probably because they knew each other all better and all that. But we build pretty strong culture down at Saints. So I think we were lucky that we were really strongly supported by all the staff and everything during COVID to keep fit. 
Um, and then obviously I missed the year of 2021 because I hadn't, I got injured at the very end of pre-season, about two weeks before the start of um, the season. And then our season's so short that if you get, you know, a 10-week injury, it's pretty it's much done. screwed. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, yeah, in terms of, I guess, the last two seasons, um, it was hectic playing over um, like New Year's and Christmas. Um, yeah. I guess it wasn't over New Year's and Christmas, but we were in pre-season. So I got, oh, I think, Christmas Day, Christ- Boxing Day off and then trained on the 28th and then trained on the 30th and then had the 31st off. And then we didn't train on the first, but some clubs trained on the first and then played on the fourth. So it was hectic. Like, amazing. This yeah. time of the year. Um, and I guess unfortunate for like girls that were interstate, um, like home, they didn't really go home or some of them did, but very brief. Um, and playing over summer, I actually like enjoy, <laughs> unpopular opinion, but enjoy the preseason and like playing in the heat. But Why's then that? it is also. Oh, I just feel like you feel so much more fatigued. Like you feel so much fitter. Like you've given, <laughs> like you're literally feeling dead after every session, um, which I guess is the same as winter. But I'd never really experienced it. Um, and like the heat just is a different type of fatigue. Um, and you get a tan, which is nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's always important. <laughs> um, but yeah, so then that season like finished, um, and then obviously. We really had no idea when the no. next season would start. It, it's so, um, yeah, I guess you have to be so versatile and just like that's probably been the most frustrating thing the last year is like especially COVID year, we didn't know when our next game would be. So it was just like constantly changing. Um, and then last season, the season got moved back a month. And then this season, we had no idea when we were starting pre-season until that. I guess three weeks or four weeks before. So, yeah, crazy. It's been like, yeah, it's been different to what I imagined, but I wouldn't change it for anything. And I guess it's like kind of made us stronger as a team as well. Yeah, definitely. I can imagine that. Um, and then, yeah, so we've had these changes come in where we've now got the 18 teams, which is really exciting. Are you excited for the competition to just keep growing and more players, you know, better competition, better standard? It's, it's really building towards something something huge now. Yeah, it's really cool that every team has a women's team. I think it's super important just for, like, not only, I guess, inclusion, but um, sort of appreciation and, like, just the guys having a bit of perspective on, like, yeah. what we go through and, like, in terms of having to work a second job or, like, studying and playing and, I know a lot of guys do that too, but just like it's just so different our game to the men's that it's not really comparable in any sense. So I think we add an element. Um, I'm pretty, we're pretty lucky. It sounds like we have a really awesome, um, I guess, board and seat. Uh, CEO was Matt Finnis, who's um, he really like got around the girls' program. Yeah, today. he, really he was the reason why we had such a successful. Um, or not successful, but I guess hopefully successful, but um, such a such an awesome um, integration between the men's and women's teams. Um, and then now we've got Simon Lefane, who's just as awesome in that sense. So um, I guess, yeah, just having the 
men's and the women's um, aligning is really cool and I think it will grow. I think Saints have definitely learned that it, like, grows the club. Um, Matt always talked about how, like, now the club's a whole um, having the women's teams and they didn't know that something was missing, but now something, now they feel like it's a whole. So I guess it gives the opportunity for other clubs to have that same feeling. That's neat. Yeah, awesome. Um, there's a nice little segue there. And you, you mentioned how the men's and women's competitions and just sports in general like are not really comparable. It rankles our skin just reading some of these things. But how frustrating is it for you, the constant comparisons to men's footy? And I mean, it's usually only from a select number of the kind of less desirable characters in the, the media landscape. <laughs> um but how does it rankle the, the you know, the, the actual players who are, who are going out there and playing the game and, and growing a, a sport that really should be viewed completely independently um, of the men's, men's side of it? Yeah, it's, um, it's actually funny at the beginning. <laughs> like my friend, I live with one of the, um, uh, I live with our captain actually at the moment and we were reading some of the comments and they're just like so funny because they're from like, middle-aged men that would not be able to be a ball like and so and some of the stuff is just hilarious like especially after some of our losses um it was pretty brutal but it was like funny at the same time but then I guess the more hurtful stuff is from those like people with um big profiles and big personalities I guess and more recently like the last two days even there were like um an article from you know a big politician or not politician but big media personality um saying about how bad our game was which I don't know it's just so it's so hard to like not I find like I'm just like a water off a duck's back I guess like can't change you know their one person's opinion but it's just an awesome like if I as Ben would attest to this like growing up I was obsessed with all sports and having a competition that I could like you can't be what you can't see so having competition yeah. that I could have looked up to and been like oh my god I can do that would have been incredible and I I think that's more the goal that everyone's trying to um establish and get to is that just like you know you can dream and that that it's yeah. possible I don't know but no it's, sense, it's but, no um, that's a perfect point it's and, and it's spot all, on sorry yeah go on. I guess no I'm just saying like we play like 16 minute, 15 minute quarters with time on. Like the men play like 30 minute quarters. Um, just like things like the score and stuff, you can't even compare that yeah. because, and things like disposals, like Ashradell, one of like the best um, midfielders in our game, got like 40 disposals in a 80 minute, we'll say our game's 80 minutes. And then like someone like, I don't know, Tom Mitchell would get 40, 45 or whatever in in a 120 minute game so it's yeah. just like it's really apples to oranges or how yeah, you I like think, to I think it'll actually um I think these people who make these comments in five years time will probably have fallen by the wayside because if you look at uh, especially women's soccer and women's cricket as well those comments and these articles and stuff never get written anymore and five years ago like women's cricket was still in its infancy in the country and we've seen how quickly it's not only got its own like place in the the summer calendar for 
um, for cricket now and it kind of opens the whole cricket season. But we have completely different commentary teams across it. We talk about it in a completely different way. So um, I'm hopeful that the, the same thing, I'm very confident the same thing will happen with the, the AFL media as well. But um, how frustrating it must be at the moment to have to put up with that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's so awesome though, like seeing cricket and soccer. They're so huge. And just like having that, um, I guess, having our league aspire to be like their leagues and take um, their advice and whatever tips, tips we can from their um, success over the last couple of years especially. And I think like in saying that, like, yeah, there's always hate, but there's always hate for everything like it's Especially switching. on the internet. Like, yeah, <laughs> if you want to find it, you'll find it. And to be honest, like, I've never had, well, touch wood, but I have really had the very, very, very rare experiences of any criticism. Like, my friends are so supportive. Any, like, all the guys I've ever met have been so supportive. Like, my family, you know, I'm very lucky and blessed to have such, like, awesome people in my life. So, I guess surrounding yourself with positive people is much <laughs> easier. Makes it all, yeah, makes it all fun. All right, amazing. We'll um, change our focus up a little bit more narrowly on you and obviously your development as a footballer and how you came to be such a, a crucial player for the Saints. Um, obviously, as you touched on before, professional football wasn't something that you could aspire to growing up and um, there were girls I was at high school with, it was the same thing. Like they were obscenely good at football, but they didn't have a professional code that they could aspire towards. And then all of a sudden, you know, the whispers started as we got pretty close to graduating. And then more or less by the time that well, the age you're eligible to play uh, professional football, there's all of a sudden a code that you can nominate for the draft. What was that process like for you? And then ultimately a transition into professional football um, yeah it's a super long story but we got time okay yeah um oh as you know I was like always kicking the football at lunchtime um at primary school and, um I played one season of under nines for East Melbourne Knights um I think it was under nines if I'm, I have a terrible memory it was just one season and then mum and dad were like no nah, not you um, so I played with the boys and they just went, like, like prefer me to be, play non-contact sport. Um, and then I played a bit at secondary school in just like GSV, but it wasn't until I signed up for a talent search in year 11, at the start of year 11, um, went to a trial day and then was really lucky um, that like two of the state coaches were there. And they just saw me and invited me to um to state tryouts and then got into Metro after like six weeks of trying out. Um and I hadn't actually played any like local footy or anything. And then so my fifth, like I guess you could say proper, proper game was on the MCG, which is pretty cool. Um and then I went back and I played for um Dragons for my year 12 year um, and then just played at Glen Ice Gladiators for yeah, year, the back half of year 11 and then year 12. Um, and like, yeah, that was really fun, but I kind of was a bit more committed to school than footy. So I missed out um, on getting drafted. I was pretty unfit and like didn't put in a lot of effort. Um, missed out on getting drafted, 
played VFL Carlton and then Saints rang me to play VFL with them the following year. So second year uni, I think I was 19. And then had a season at Saints and then was really cool. And I loved it then. Super, super lucky to be picked up by them in 2019. Yeah. Amazing. That's so cool. Yeah, it was yeah, pretty and then you just find yourself in a like a professional <laughs> environment and all of a sudden like as you said like you're the full training regime the works that's so cool it's been really fun it's it is like still a bit pinch me but um yeah it's awesome how did uh getting overlooked in those drafts kind of help you realize how badly you wanted to play the game live and i guess has it helped you build resilience and perspective with things like your studies and things you've got going on outside of a football to help you get through the tough times like you had last year with the injuries. Um, and I guess on a slightly different note, do you feel like you have a bit of a point to prove um, to the fact you didn't get selected in that, that initial draft? Yeah, definitely. I think I saw girls that I'd played footy with um, that got drafted and I was like, I'm just as good as them. <laughs> um in my head, but I would never say that. But I was like, <laughs> I, like, I just think I, yeah, I was like, surely, like, if I put some effort in, like, I can give this a shot. And I actually gave it, like, the first year of uni, I didn't get drafted as well, but I had, like, yeah. a knee injury. And I also just, like, didn't really, like, put in that much effort. And then I was like, I'll give it one good crack because obviously, there's so much other stuff going on that you don't want to miss out on, you know, like you're a 19, 20 year old. There's so many fun things to yeah, be of course. Um, done. And so I was like, I'll give it one more crack. And then, yeah. Um, so I think I definitely learned um, what I need to fuel me sort of um, and like what motivation I need. But the injury last year was probably the most challenging thing like I'd been through. I think I always knew that like if I put my mind to um wanting to be drafted that like potentially if I was in the right place at the right time I could you know have a chance but then with the injury I was like oh my god this is so hard like I don't know how people do this because I love being around people and you're by yourself for a lot of the time so I learned um yeah I guess just like that consistency and I'm very much like a all in or nothing person so I think I learned um kind of sounds so cliche but the value of just like showing up and even if it's a really shit run or I don't know if I'm allowed to swear sorry no, yeah absolutely <laughs> um, yeah, yeah it's like <laughs> a really shit run or just like a, a light gym session is better than doing nothing so um yeah I learned about that and then I also learned how much I value like my teammates like I'm so so lucky at the club that I get along with everyone and I also just know that that's what I need like to do well and I think I probably only discovered that because of rehab like I wouldn't have discovered how much I like being around people well I mean you do you think like sorry that's such a stupid comment like you do love being like you know how you work like I think introvert or extroverted but I didn't truly like understand or appreciate how being a part of a group is and feels and can motivate you in different ways and make life outside of footy really enjoyable too. Yeah, awesome. so it must it must be great to live with your captain then and and 
be able to spend some more time with the playing group, you know. Um, do you guys organize things outside of footy? Do you hang out together generally or do you spend most of your time with schoolmates? Like what, what do you spend yeah. most of your time outside of footy doing um, aside from studying, that is? Um, well, I just, I only actually just moved in here like last week. So I before was living in a house with um, two boys, one, uh, one like two good friends. Um, they actually both went to school with me then. Um, <laughs> and then, and so I was living with Gus Stars, who played for Swans first year out of school. Yeah. So that was really good because he knew kind of like what, they, like what I was going through. I yeah, guess. of course. Um, and then Paddy and um another really good friend Lucy, um, who I went to school with, and that was like a super fun house, but just like super different to probably um, yeah, just like your classic share house, um. So that was awesome. Just being able to us, we were in uh, East Melbourne, so right near Richmond, um, which was doing the all the usual things, I guess, going <laughs> to pubs and having a good time. Um, but I'm excited for this now, like being I'm really close to the club, um, and just like being able to put heaps of effort into footy and like living a bit more of the athlete lifestyle, which is also really awesome. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess sorry I didn't answer your question. No, no, <laughs> no, that's perfect. Fine. Definitely. Um, footy's, yeah. footy's number one after all. <laughs> yeah, no, I love like catching up with friends and um, yeah. I've got uni and I work um do a bit of coaching um and stuff like that, which is good. It keeps me really busy. That's but, very busy, that's a lot. <laughs> that's yeah. Awesome. All right, amazing. I I think that's all I've got, guys. Anything else? Yeah, that was awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much, Steve. That was really, really good. Good luck this weekend as well. Um, Friday you. night, is it? Yeah, it's Friday. At Moravin? Yeah. See if I can get down. Should yeah. be a good you game. You guys should. Oh, well, should. obviously, Hamish. <laughs> the long <laughs> trek. Yeah, it's a fair walk, fun. but I can see what I can do. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, thanks, guys. That was so awesome. Thanks so much to Liv for coming on the show, giving us way more of her time than we asked for and being so generous with her answers as well. Um, hope to see as many listeners as possible down at Moorabbin on Friday night. Now, boys, we'll start with a, a reasonably light topic, Hugo. Yes. Uh, so the trade period is well underway. There was a bombshell last week with Jason Horn Francis requesting a trade home. Um, he doesn't want to go to Adelaide, wants to go to Port Adelaide. Um, big bombshell. It was talked about all season, but seemed like it had kind of gone away. It looked like he was going to stay. North Melbourne team he got drafted for in his first year. Um, seemed committed to the cause. Maybe the recent drama about a coach has swayed him. Maybe not. Um, boys, what do you think about this, Ben? I think you've got some pretty strong opinions on upon draftees requesting a trade home. Uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll touch on it a bit later, but I just think if you nominate for the national draft, you've got to be willing to go interstate and at least apply your trade for a while. I mean, obviously it's not always going to work out for a player at a club, but I don't think it would be um, out of line for me to say that one year where he sort of played half the games and the club's obviously going through a, a transitioning period, uh, probably he hasn't given it 
the full tilt um, hasn't given his all to the club. So I, I think he is probably slightly more indebted to them than what he's repaid. Um, but yeah, it's a really tricky one for North Melbourne now. Obviously, they've previously turned down um, some pretty juicy offers for him. And that sort of sets the bar for what they'd be expecting. I don't know if they're going to get anything the likes of which they saw last trade period for him. Uh, what do you think, Hamish? There are definitely a lot of layers to this one. And, yeah, I tend to agree with you, Ben. It's players are becoming more and more emboldened to uh, request trades really early into their their contracts, particularly at interstate clubs. We've got Tanner Bruin doing it as well this year. Luke Jackson asking to go home. The weird one about this one is that he doesn't want to play at Adelaide. Like by all reports, he won't even pick up the phone to like talk to them. And I think if you're that homesick, like his his camp has made him out to be, you just need to get back home. You know, wherever you play, you play, but it's got to be the best deal for for North Melbourne. You'd think in that situation, probably would have been tough for Adelaide anyway, given they're going to have to give up their first round pick for Isaac Rankin to get him into the club. But Port Adelaide's first pick nine is not going to be enough to to get Horn Francis in. and, you know, even if they look at a, a future first as well, I'm not sure whether that's going to suffice North Melbourne. So, yeah, really tricky one. Do you hold him to his contract? I don't know if any parties win with that, to be honest. He's not going to be happy. Um, strikes me as the kind of character that you wouldn't want around the club if he's going to be yeah. uh, in, a, in a bad place and you're yep. going to get less for him next year as well. So I'm pretty confident a trade will be made. Um, probably going to have to involve some players, though, to get that one across the line and yeah it is a real bombshell i'm not sure i really like this precedent um luke jackson played three years fair enough um but when we've got all these you know ollie henry's doing the same thing from collingwood we've got a whole lot of second third year players or even first year players requesting a trade back home what does that say to clubs about drafting players from interstate you know it's going to be a yeah so the ollie henry one i think is a little bit different just on the just f- finalizing on on Jason Horn Francis, I, I think Luke Jackson also requested a trade to either side, so there's a big difference there. Um, it definitely does seem like there's more going on, um, which you know we don't know his full story, so it could be fair enough and probably is, but it's it's not setting up a great precedent. I agree. Um, and then I just blanked. What <laughs> what else did you mention there, Hamish? Um, well, it's just in terms of what are clubs going to think about drafting players from interstate yeah. going forward? Is this going to actually reduce the value of draft picks? Because, you know, if Melbourne have their time again, now they're not picking Jackson at, at three. I know he helped them win a premiership, but he's not exactly got the Lauren Jackson farewell. Uh, if you pardon the, pardon the pun. A little surname <laughs> pun. If you don't mind. It, um it does set up a lot more, you know, building around interstate academies and, um, and building strong culture and then you know sets up your your mental testing before the draft as well might be just as significant as your physical tests you know how certain are you that a player is going to commit to you for the next 10 years you know we've seen players commit to interstate um sides as much as as uh have wanted to go home you know, yeah look same. at patty cripps right yeah exactly um david who, mundy but- seymour boy 370 yeah. games or whatever at Frio. Paddy Cripps spoke pretty candidly about how he was struggling at Carlton with the lack of wins. And really for the first time as a Carlton fan, you saw that it really, you know, was a tough time being at the club with so many losses and such bad form, but he stuck around and 
you know, shows that it can be done and it might just be based on the personal play, but it's so hard to tell um, and will really change how I think the draft is built around the next few years and whether they change the contracts is another another issue. Um, if there's anything else you want to add, boys, might just move on to some of the other big news. Um, so today we had Blake Akers signed for Carlton. Big quick news. One. That's yeah. a big one. Yeah. I've been waiting for that one. Yeah, <laughs> well, it'd been confirmed for a while. I mean, he was basically traded for you know, a happy meal. Yeah, and, uh, oh, it's a great. It's actually a good pickup. Yeah. He's a he's a good player. When he I was think it's exactly Saints. what. Yeah, exactly what Carlton was... needed. Not necessarily, you know, he's going to win you a game, but exactly what they needed on the wing and will contribute in a great way towards a hopeful finals campaign. Um, <laughs> the other news today, or one of the other news today, were a couple free agency signings, including Liam Jones back to the Dogs. Um, big signing for them. Hopefully can shore up their defence, but it's going to need a lot more tactical changes as well, I think. Um, McStay had been talked about for a while. He's officially signed at the Pies. Um, we also saw Kyle Amon sign recently in the week. Hamish, do you think you know that's going to make a difference for the Hawks? Uh, not really in the next couple of years, but do you think he'll be? Do you think he'll still be around when they're playing finals? Or um, yeah, just... I think he will. He strikes me as the kind of player who's got pretty good longevity around him. Just his skill set, very Isaac Smith like on the on the wing, um, and still you know, just coming into the prime of his career now, did win Port's Brownlow count as well. So had a, a really strong season. Um, all depends how long it takes for the Hawks to rebound, I suppose. One of the other stories coming out of today was Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody potentially considering a return to to the to the AFL world, um, which is, uh, yeah, an interesting one for an Essen fan to consider. Um, there's a chance he comes back to the club. It's more likely he's actually going to go to Frio at this point uh, and for a, a number of reasons there. Um, but yeah, it tends to be a pretty quiet time at the moment for both Essendon and St Kilda, hey Ben? It does. Um, a little more on Essendon would be remiss of us <laughs> to not touch on this old uh, CEO snafu. Do you want to waltz us through it, Hamish? Give well, me the, the resident Don supporter. I'll give, you the, I'll give you the supporter insight here, Ben. I checked my emails. I went into my junk email. I was like, I need a thought through some of these this evening and um the first email on the list says uh Essendon Football Club they've, they've sent out a letter to members and it's um we're delighted they're absolutely delighted to announce Andrew Thornburn as the new CEO of the football club there's a whole CV that's laid out in the email you know his time at NAB what a great leader and people person he is etc cetera, etc cetera. okay wonderful wonderful deleted next email that comes up Sorry. Um, Essendon formally accept the resignation of Andrew Thornburn, CEO of the football club. Um, I believe it was 26 hours between the first email and the second email. Um, so I'm not sure whether you'll get paid for two days or one. Be interesting to, to yeah. see. Um, but it was sure a pretty quick turnaround. And yeah, due to his links to um, a slightly problematic church, um, probably it's all we we want to say on the matter, yeah, but it certainly adds to the, the bin fire that is the football club at the moment. Sure does. Um, yeah. What it's, a saga. Um, it's the, the major thing is the, the background check performed because apparently it was readily available information. Once again, just overseeing key information and um, 
we don't want to get too too much into it. Just want to report the the facts. But um, the fact of the matter is, is something needs to be changed at Essendon. It looks like. Um, well, Kevin Kevin Sheedy, I just want to have you know that he did back James Heard for the CEO <laughs> role. So um, also for for every other role coming up in the future in Essendon. Um, I mean, do you reckon there's just starting a BCEO for a day type of situation? Or? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> I mean, just a rotation policy. Yeah. Well, if you if you play a game, you get to be CEO that week. Oh, uh, it's a it's a bit of a mess at the moment. Um, I think potentially they should look at a female CEO. Uh, tends to be more successful at the moment in the AFL. I mean, world, it's it's so. shocking that that would work. That uh, something some change into an all male environment would cause maybe a better situation. Who would have Who would have thought about that before? Honestly. Um, ben and I were uh, having this discussion off air, but um, the worst people to employ in any governance role in your football club are emotional males um, who are emotionally invested in the club. It just doesn't work. Um, yeah. The decision-making goes out the window. Um, so anyway, it's it's food for thought. And hey, the exciting thing being an Essendon fan is you never know who's going to sign or resign on any given day. So, um, <laughs> you know, true. you can always be hoping. Yeah, the other, news, sorry. the other news out of Essendon was the new coach, which seems months ago now, but was since the last episode. Hamish, as a Essendon fan, Brad Scott, do you think he was just the only option left? Yeah, it's 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 pretty good being able to get a job based on your twin brother's success, but <laughs> I don't know. Um, that's sorry, that's pretty harsh. Um, I think he, based on the criteria the club set, he was definitely the only option. Um, because they said that senior experience coach quality. Otherwise, I think Adamuze would have had a fair crack at it. I do still feel a bit sorry for Adamuze. He went through three rounds of discussions only for Brad Scott to parachute in at the last second and just be handed the job after a singular interview. So um, spare a thought for him, although it looks like that potentially it might be for the best for, for him anyway. Um, look, it'll be interesting to see if Brad has any success. Um, I hope that his time away from the game has... Um, allowed him to, um, uh, how do I put this in a really diplomatic way? Uh, enjoy his job a little bit more, at least like from a forward-facing <laughs> perspective. I would like him to smile once in a press conference. That would, that would, that would make me happy. I think like I look at like Ross Lyon. I think he's a similar type of guy in terms of um, pretty serious, intense about his footy. Um, but at least Ross had a very dry sense of humour that you could rely upon it at all press conferences. So that's something I'll be looking for anyway, Hugo, even if the results don't follow. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. It seems like to be an AFL coach right now, you just have to go back and play in the 2004 um, grand final. Yeah. I think it's like eight coaches played in that game, which is just absurd. It is um, absurd. <laughs> um, is there anything else that you boys want to discuss in the AFL world. There are a few um, best Ferris's announced in the last week. Um, Jack Crisp was a, a good story. Talk that he'd been underrated for a while now and, and to be win back-to-back BNFs in two very different seasons shows that his key player for, for Collingwood, I think arguably best story of the season for best and Ferris is Peter Wright, who was traded away for chips and sauce. Um, <laughs> we're getting a... some good airtime on this podcast. Yeah, um, but no, yeah, that was yeah. good. Hamish's also, um, Ben's Ben's favorite 
um, AFL player, non-St. Kilda AFL player, finished third in our BNF. Uh, the man with the white hair, Matt Guelphy. So oh my God. Um, he's, <laughs> my a, he's God. a podium finisher in our, in our BNF then. Hamish, can you reveal your bold prediction from earlier in the season? Can you remind the fans what, what it was? Oh, the Nick Martin one? Yes, Nick yeah, Martin. I did, I did think Nick Martin would win the BNF. He didn't win that, but he did win the, the Essendon equivalent yes. of the Rising Stars. So, yeah, we'll, we'll take the, the, the close enough is good enough. Um, the other one I want to mention was Paddy Cripps winning his fourth um, Jock McHale medal. That's uh, second only behind Jock McHale now um, and real legend from for the Carlton Footy Club already, uh, which is crazy to think of and hasn't even won a final yet. So hopefully his <laughs> hasn't, hasn't played, played one. Mate. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. That's what I meant to say. Yeah, hasn't, it hasn't even played a final yet. So there you Peyton go. Oliver's also won his fourth as well. So it's pretty amazing for those two guys who are just coming yeah. into their prime now. I mean, some people so, argue, you know, Cripps wasn't playing against anyone, which, you know, uh, fair and also not too fair, but Clayton Oliver playing against some big players in that midfield, including Christian Petrarca, very, very good player, Clayton Oliver, and will be remembered as such. Now, boys, just before we get stuck into our moments of the week, uh, the one other story we, we really do need to touch on is what we saw in the, the Premier League on the weekend with Erling Haaland, as mentioned off the top, scoring his third hat-trick in three consecutive home games. Uh, look, I think there's two ways of, of looking at this. If you're a glass half full about the, the state of English soccer at the moment, you can say it's really exciting that we have this, this new world-beating player in the, the competition, a guy who's going to break all kinds of records and will probably be here for um, you know the next five, six years as long as Pep Guardiola's hanging around. The second way you can look at it is that it's kind of the equivalent of like prime years Buddy Franklin going to Geelong, who also happened to have Paddy Cripps, Clayton Oliver, um, <laughs> and Max Gorn in their team. Um, it is a real question about the competitiveness of the Premier League. And for so long, this league harped on about how it was, it may not necessarily have the most skillful football, the most beautiful football, but it always had the most competitive football. Uh, it's now, you rarely hear that said, simply because the chances of a lowly team even getting near Manchester City, pretty much non-existent. These days, it's becoming a, a one-team league. Even though they're second on the table now, it looks very much like they're going to absolutely steamroll everyone. Um, ben, how do you feel about the idea of, of one-team leagues? I think in Australia, we have a, like a bit of tall poppy syndrome. We love the underdog. We love the idea of always going to a match, having a chance. But we do see in the US, we do see in the UK, they celebrate dominance and they, they actually enjoy having such a strong side. Do you think it's just an Australian point that we seem to be kind of concerned about this uh so i think you're right we certainly have an ingrained egalitarian view of sport in what we want to see from our leagues but i think there's there's probably scope to embrace the champion team like everyone likes a dynasty even in in afl we can get around a dynasty but i just think when it goes on for such a protracted period that everyone else is just playing for second almost the credibility of the league starts to diminish. Um, you know, you've got one team that it seems as a fate complete will win it and everyone else is running around for, for the scraps off the table. Um, and especially when it is really seems as simple, at least from someone who's not a, an insider at all, it seems as simple as you can just buy the success. 
Um, and if you want success, you need to change up your investors. Uh, I just think that that takes away from the essence of the sport. And as you said, Hamish, a lot of the true blue fans of the EPL will, will harp on about you know, how, how it was at least uh, a really rough competitive league. Uh, and I love the idea that, you know, they've still got their communal community ties and these local teams, but when it's all coming from external money and all your success is coming from external money, I think that gets diluted very quickly. So I do think it is a problem to so the, the scale it, that you see it with Manchester city. I think it's a problem. Yeah, I, I agree. I also think there's some very key differences in, you know, the premier league to other sports around the world, especially when you look at someone like Geelong, um, I just have so much more respect for what Geelong have done over the last 10, 15 years in a competition that's built around fairness and making, you know, teams will eventually get bad and teams will eventually get good. Geelong has managed to stay good this whole time, whereas Man City have just been good because they can just buy better players. Like, it's that simple. Um, obviously, they have they were struggling there a little bit to find a good coach and now they've got the best manager in the world, arguably they don't look like losing. And it was the same with Liverpool for a little bit there and, and still Liverpool look, well, maybe recently, not as much form, but last few years they've been untouchable with Man City. Man City just a little bit better because they've got a good manager and can just, you know, bank on these good players as well. Um, and, you know, you've got the draft in other competitions, but in America, the big market teams end up attracting the big free agents and, especially in a sport like NBA, NFL is a bit different. You don't necessarily get that as much. Um, seeing the Bengals, a much smaller market team, making it all the way to the Super Bowl last year. Um, but then again, you don't see much of that underdog support. I think you're right around the world compared to Australia. We just, <laughs> we love the underdogs here. Um, and I think it it's to the detriment of the Premier League that they don't have a more... Um, egalitarian competition and something that will really challenge the league if the next five years Man City continue to just win. Yeah, I think people reach a point where they just become disinterested in it. And I think it's the reason we're not as interested in the Bundesliga, um, League on like we've got PSG and Bayern Munich just running around and it's just, you know, it doesn't grab the attention in Australia because you know, who's going to win every year. So for them, it's just the Champions League and the Champions League's kind of in a, a bubble of its own. And it's always kind of often anyway, Champions League slightly anticlimactic anyway, because you often don't see the best football based on the way that the team's set up. So anyway, it will be interesting to see where they go from here. Um, but I reckon it's time to move on to our moments of the week. Yeah, 100%. Well, I've got a big one. Um, Annabelle Sutherland, friend of the podcast, I might say made a ton for Victoria in today's one-day domestic against Tasmania. I believe it's her second ton in her last three outings for the Vic side. Uh, really incredible for someone who we would have said, at least at the start of the, the season, was more of a bowling all-rounder to be in such red-hot form with the bat, when at a runner ball today. Uh, unfortunately, Victoria lost that tie against Tasmania, but incredible to see her rounding into some form and, Obviously, at the start of the summer, obviously, so she's got you know bigger and better things to look forward to. Yeah, just a shame yeah. they don't play more than six games. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, it's um, a scary thought for 
uh, other teams around the world with Talia McGrath and Annabelle Sutherland batting and bowling so well, both of them. Um, I think this is Annabelle's coming of age with the, the bat a little bit at the moment. She's always been very good, but she's batting at three for the Vicks. And if she can translate that form into the, the international void, that's what we'll need because with the retirement, the Rachel Haynes and um, Meg Lanning have some time away. We need people to, to take those positions. Um, my moment of the week is uh, one of the most important moments <laughs> of the week we've, we've had on this show. Of course, it relates to the Big Bash. And that was the announcement. The big announcement. Uh, I'm not sure they called a press, press conference for it, but we would have been there if they had. The, the Bash Boost Point and the X Factor are gone for this year's rendition of the Big Bash, but DRS is in. Um, the DRS one actually is a, a reasonable inclusion given uh, the state of the umpiring in last year's competition <laughs> was um, questionable woeful. at times. Woeful. Yes, woeful, as some would say. Um, the loss of the Bash Boost Point and X Factor... Uh, is a real contentious one that people will sit around in their backyards and as we come into summer, the barbecue's done really debating over the merits of that. But um, they are keeping around the power surge. So, you know, best of both worlds, I think, anyway. Yeah, that. Um, I mean, I'm excited for the for DRS to be in early. It, it just elevates the competition, I think. Because in test matches, it's there to get rid of the howlers. And you don't see too many howlers, whereas Big Bash is really where you get some umpiring <laughs> howlers. Like, you know, I you kind of actually, I hate to disagree with you, Hugo, but sometimes the umpiring howlers what keep me watching the Big Bash from time to time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, my moment of the week was a much bigger global moment, and that was the Adelaide 36ers beating the Phoenix Suns in a NBA preseason match. So that's the first time an NBL team's beaten an NBA team uh, in a preseason game, and only the second time ever that an NBA team has lost to an overseas team uh, in any preseason game. So it's a huge story and genuinely like life-changing for some of these MB- um, NBL players. Um, Chris Randall, I believe his name is. Yeah. Um, Craig Randall, sorry. The third uh, or something, yeah. Yeah, Craig Randall, the second, um, <laughs> just went absolutely off in in the game. Um, shot, made, scored 35 points, shot over 50% from the three. He genuinely could get an NBA contract because of that shooting. Um, and for those saying, oh, it's just a preseason, like doesn't mean anything. Yeah, it is. But also the Suns played their starting lineup full of uh, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, um campaign also played he's got 23 points chris paul had 12 assists but um good old um mike yeah mitchell mccarran out um out assisted him for the game so mitchell mccarran is the new point god of the world um <laughs> i don't yeah. know if we've ever butchered so many names i was gonna say yeah. you, can, just you can tell that the adelaide 36ers have just like skyrocketed into being household names yeah well it genuinely seeing like half of I mean, NBA Twitter is such a big part of NBA now, like mm. Kevin Durant tweeting after every game and NBA Twitter was genuinely going off about this and saying, you know, Oh, all of a sudden there's basketball outside of the U S like it's a huge moment and um, really shows a lot about the NBL and might have to bring back a uh, hit or miss about NBA <laughs> NBL being bigger than <laughs> big bash sometime over the summer. Um, but no, a great moment. And um Big moment for Australian basketball. All right, time for the bad moment of the week, Ben. 
Uh, yeah, I guess I'll do this. So this was sent in to us from Will. So thanks so much, Will, for this one. And it was, of course, Mitchell Johnson, Mitchell Johnson, Australian fast bowling legend, had an ugly on-field incident um, with Yusuf Pathan, the Indian cricketer. He was playing in like a legends event, a, a league qualifier. You mean the Road Safety World Series? Maybe. <laughs> I'm not even sure it was that high-ticketed. High like, this was really a nothing event. Anyway, there was some altercation. Johnson was bowling and the batsman and the umpire ended up having a back and forth. And Mitchie Johnson has stepped in as the white knight and just pushed the batsman down the crease. And it's footage that's arguably worth looking up if you're listening and you've got a spare couple of seconds because it's mildly amusing. Anyway, the captain stepped in. It was all calmed down. And and I am assured that all tensions have been resolved subsequently. But a bit of a laugh and always good to check in on how our big Mitchie's MJ. going. <laughs> that is very good. Um, all right. Well, boys, we've been on Zoom for a little while now. Easy to just kind of meld into the screen and, and lose track of your surroundings. Not only lose track of space, but also lose track of time. Hugo, this week it's up to you. Do you have the time for us? Hamish, I thought you were going to take this one away. What What is the time in Melbourne and Canberra and Sydney and all of Eastern Australia, Hamish? I think you mean Australian Eastern Standard Day by time, <laughs> Hugo. Always important to add a couple extra acronyms into the into the original acronym. Um, anyway, on the... On the east coast, south of the Queensland border, where we do respect the function that is daylight savings, I believe it is time for Brunei's favourite segment, Hit or Miss. Bang. I will start us off here with a bold one, a big hit or miss, and that is that Erling Haaland will have a better career than Cristiano Ronaldo, CR7. Uh, miss for me. Just same um, bird in the hand philosophy that I gave to you a couple of weeks ago and it wasn't that well <laughs> received then, but I'll recycle it. Obviously runs on the board for CR7 to use another metaphor. And I just think that obviously... Harlan's potential is enormous and what he's shown in just a fledgling career in the APL is unbelievable, but he has to sustain that for such a long time to even be comparable to Ronaldo. Um, and I just don't think you can reasonably forecast that. Yeah. It's also a miss for me. Harlan's a tap in merchant. Ronaldo would have scored six goals a week oh, if he like... was playing in this city team. <laughs> no, no. Um, I think they are different players. Ronaldo was a winger for the first kind of eight years of his career. He's now 38 years old. He's um, been around the block a few times. He's got, what, 16 years on Erling Haaland. So a um, bit of time still for Haaland to, to reach those highs. But I think the other difference is Ronaldo's done it with Portugal. They've run a Euros and... He's done it at the World Cup on the biggest stage of all. Harlan's not going to the World Cup this year because he plays for a side that's not up to the levels of the Socceroos. So um, <laughs> Norway true. won't be Naturally. won't be on that plane to Qatar. Um, I did enjoy the 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 things from like the Norwegian team being like, "Oh, we're going to boycott the, the the World Cup if we make it," knowing like pretty well that they're not going to make it. But um, it's always good to get your foot in the door that way. Um, anyway, I'm being very very cynical here. Uh, it's a it's a miss for me, but he's definitely. I think he's gone past Mbappe as the the brightest young talent. 
Yeah, I was. That was what I was gonna add as well. I think it's a miss as well. I think he's past Mbappe now. Maybe Mbappe's um, petulance over the last trade period or um, the whole thing around that. Um, I think his potential might be brighter now than Ronaldo's was when he was playing. But I think Ronaldo would also be scoring hat tricks in three home games in a row if he was with the Man City team that is now um, and against the sides they're playing. It is uh, an unbelievable side, as we've discussed. One thing I just wanted to mention while we were on the, the topic of the soccer is Garan Kual to Newcastle is a big yeah, moment. we should have mentioned that. Missed, um, <laughs> throughout the episode. So good on him and great to have a soccer and Australian back in the Premier League for um, a side that's hopefully and should be there for the next couple of years as well. Hopefully he can play a key role over there. Anyway, Hamish, your hit or miss. Yeah, so for those that didn't catch it, um, the Women's World Cup soccer next year in Australia and New Zealand, the broadcasting rights are owned by Optus Sport. And I think there's still debate over whether SBS are going to screen any of the the soccer, the, sorry, the Matildas games or not. Um, my hit or miss is that the, the government should intervene over the Women's World Cup broadcasting rights and ensure that games are shown on free-to-air te- television, hit or miss. Uh, yes, that's a hit. I believe there's precedent for governments doing this, but I just think it's, well, I mean, the, the foundational principle is that the Women's World Cup should be on free to air. It should be as accessible as possible for viewers. And, you know, if you're talking about SBS, then it's a government run um, body. So they're the ones pulling the strings and calling the shots. And absolutely, they should make sure that everyone that wants to watch it can. Yeah, I think it's a conditional hit for me. I think all Australian games should definitely be on free-to-air um, and then maybe the semi-finals and finals the government should enforce. I just think it's hard to, like in a, a global commercial world, it's hard for the government to step in on everything and I don't think you necessarily want them stepping in on everything. Yeah. However, you want best possible access to a homegrown World Cup where it's only going to grow the game and that's exactly what you want the World Cup at home to do. Um, so I'd love for it all to be on free air and I think it should, but about the government stepping in, probably a miss for the whole World Cup. Fair enough, fair enough. I don't really have a very strong view on it. I definitely think the Matildas games have to be shown. Um, yeah. But having said that, I mean, how you're going to have to reckon up the sport somehow for that because they've paid they outbidded SBS and Channel 7 and Channel 9 for those rights so um, they were very much up for grabs if they were willing to pay enough in the, the first time round yeah um, very very true um, alright touching on what we or piggybacking off what we touched on earlier with the Jason Horn Francis situation I think that first rounders should be getting a three-year contract so that we avoid the situation like the one we're seeing here after just one season, hit or miss. Yeah, mine's pretty easy for this one. I think um, first rounders, it's a it's an absolute hit for me. Uh, I definitely don't think you want to be giving out three-year contracts to anyone after the first round just because you're not sure if they're actually going to be any yeah, exactly. to be on your list for three years, but it just makes sense to me. Um, that's the natural cutoff point for it. And whilst people will say, yeah, Jason Horn Francis could still request a trade after year one, there's way more bargaining power for North Melbourne. In that case, they also give them an extra year to actually embed them 
in the culture. And I think as a player, especially going to, I think the Giants are the biggest victim of um, having young players come in from interstate, do their first two years of development and then leave. Had Jai Caldwell, got Tanner Bruin this year. Um, I think for them in particular, that extra year at the club gives the, yeah, it gives the club an opportunity to like actually show the player that they want to be here. You can almost, if you're a young player going to a club interstate, you can just like grit your teeth for those two years, you know, just get through knowing that you can be out afterwards. I don't reckon you can do that for three years. No club's going to take you purely on potential if you haven't shown it after three years. So yeah, hit for me. Yeah, good argument. I think it's a hit for me as well. Um, Not too much to add on there. Much more bargaining power in the hands of the clubs. And, you know, if if it is based on culture, then I think you're more likely to get out if you if you really need to. Like if you request a trade home, you know, you, you keep both sides open like Luke Jackson or you do your hard yards first, win a premiership and then <laughs> no, but I think it's a hit for me, yeah. Excellent. Well, Ben, we've been waiting for this next segment. Oh, I, surely I don't have to do this. <laughs> I never have to do this. All right. I haven't been practicing the names, so this could get ugly, everyone. <laughs> so it's obviously the on this day, on this week, and there was a smorgasbord to choose from. But we landed on this one from the year 1923. Young Stribling ostensibly beats Mike McTeague on points in Columbus, Georgia for the world's light heavyweight boxing title. Now, the referee, Harry Erdl, later called the fight a draw, uh, but it was claimed that he was coerced by promoters to award the fight to Stribling. Um, But in the end, McTeague retains the title. I don't know if you can understand that. I certainly can't, (laughs) but irrespective this all happened on this very day in 1923 and that alone is cause for celebration yeah absolutely i mean good on Strebling. i don't know who ended up winning but good on him <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean young Strebling, probably not so young anymore hey 99 years uh, today yeah, last yeah, week it was dan go now we've got <laughs> old Strebling. <laughs> <laughs> You're one away from Stay being permanently cancelled. <laughs> the trifecta is uh, coming next week. Um, just a, a one that I'm going to put forward and, um, yeah, without any real notice to Ben or Hugo here, stay tuned on the socials for a new segment or new opportunity for fan engagement this week. Um, Hugo, our, our social man, is going to put out a little feeder. And if you've got any really wacky phrases, doesn't have to be anything to do with sport, wacky. as long as they are... Uh, um, clean and appropriate um we'll do our very best to somehow get them into next week's show we'll probably only pick one maybe two if there's really good submissions to start with but yeah another opportunity to get some fan engagement uh with you guys which we we thoroughly enjoy yeah thanks boys all right we'll take a look forward to the future now after looking back to the past uh, with some future events, including we'll start well, we'll start with the cricketing world, and we've got the Indian men taking on the South African men in a couple of T20s. Um, I believe they're in India, and there's some warm ups for the T20 World Cup coming up. Australia also takes um, players West Indies uh, tomorrow, I believe, it's coming up very soon uh, in some T20 warm ups. Did you see Shimron Hetmeyer? By the way, just... Um, oh, that was going to be my moment of the week. I completely <laughs> forgot. I knew I had one. Oh, too so, late to change it now. 
Shimmer and Hetmeyer. Sorry, Hugo. (laughs) Sorry. Shimmer and Hetmeyer, who's like a worldie for the West Indies, bats in the middle order. He missed the initial flight with the West Indies squad out to Australia, but he'd actually like, he'd let them know like a day in advance that he wasn't going to be able to make it because of private stuff he had going on. So he chartered him his own flight to get out here. Didn't rock up to the flight this morning. Uh, as a result, the West Indies had said, sorry, mate, if you don't want to come out, you're not going to be in the squad. Um, so they brought in Shamar Brooks instead to, to take his place and he'll be flying out tomorrow. Hopefully he decides to go to the airport. <laughs> it is a big effort to go to the airport True. when you're going to be paid to go around the world and play cricket. But um, anyway, it's always interesting to see what comes out of the, the West Indies cricket team. Yeah, they cut him from the entire World Cup squad, not even the warm-up games against Australia. It's huge and <laughs> interesting decision to say the least um in the other games we've got the west indian women taking on the new zealand women that's in the their t20 series that's been going on then we have the women's national cricket league as well as the sheffield shield continuing uh with queensland taking on tassie and south africa uh, south africa <laughs> south australia taking on victoria in the men's sheffield shield competition have another full week of NFL fixtures. And then we have the Japanese Grand Prix taking place this weekend, which is the only other Grand Prix that takes place during daylight for Australians. So an exciting one always. And it's good to be back in Japan for the Formula One. Yeah, can't wait to be out on the track again. It's been a while. <laughs> um, sorry, it's the end of a long episode. In the, the soccer world this week, we've got Champions League action continuing tomorrow morning, Australian Eastern Standard Daylight Time. Uh, Liverpool take on Rangers. It's a game, it's a rivalry that hasn't been renewed for many, many years. So that's very exciting for those fan bases. It's going to continue on Wednesday as well. And the only real noteworthy uh, Premier League games this weekend is Arsenal versus Liverpool. Um, But as I said off the top, we had most of our rivalries in the past week. So stay tuned for, for more to come. Very good. Not too much on my end either. We do have the round seven AFLW action. A few good matches to look forward to there. Not in the least Friday night at down at Moorabbin, we've got the mighty Saints taking on the Blues. So all the best to live and the Saints. Hopefully we can avenge last week's narrow loss and get the Chockeys over the baggers. Uh, and that, by the way, is my bold prediction that the Saints will get the win. And I've got live to live to have 20 touches as well. Oh, 20's, 20's a bit stiff on her. I reckon she's going to have 25. Seen some players come into some great form after interviews, including the last one, James Robot, on great finals form. Thanks to us blokes here. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. maybe. Um, I, my bold, bold prediction is for Annabelle Sutherland to be player of the series against Pakistan. That's a good one. Very good one. My bold prediction is for Sharma Brooks to make his flight to Australia tomorrow <laughs> and defy the odds. It's always a challenge. When was the last time we got a serious one out of you, Hamish? Oh, well, uh, what was the test? We're still waiting. You know why? You know why I haven't made it? Because I haven't got one right in ages. <laughs> um, so you just, it, it eventually wears you down. Yeah, um, consecutive, consecutive failures. Um, I'll, I'll promise to come up with a serious one for you next week. You go. Okay. There we go. Thanks so much. All right. Fantastic. Good stuff, lads. That is all we've got time for this week. A massive, massive thanks to Liv Vesley for joining us for what was a really 
earnest and entertaining chat and i do hope the listeners enjoyed it please join us around this time next week for all the same goodies and uh yeah we'll see you then